Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of You're Wrong with me, David Harsani, Senior Editor at The Federalist, and Molly Hemingway, Editor-in-Chief of The Federalist. How are you, Molly? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I had a, uh, a fun time yesterday during the January 6th emergency special committee hearings uh, where we had a special witness who's going to blow, finally blow, blow this thing up. And uh, as usual, or I guess since around 2016, I've learned not to get too excited about things, give it a few hours to uh, percolate and see what happens before I jump on any sort of a big story. And uh, that played out well for me yesterday. So uh, let's talk about, uh, what's her name? Cassidy Hutchinson. Yeah, the star witness of the emergency hearing of the January 6th commission. So one of her big reveals was that that Donald Trump was so angered by the inability to go down and, and participate in the coup of our country and government that he like grabbed the steering wheel of the limousine, the beast, the presidential limousine. And did he choke a, or any choked a, a secret service person or something like that? Some pretty like Marvel superhero stuff that was being alleged, but I don't know exactly what the details were. Physical assault was definitely part of the story that was told by Cassidy Hutchinson. Right. And what, what, what other big reveals were there? Well, I actually felt like I was taking crazy pills yesterday. I try to just keep up to date on what's being done in the committee, even though I believe that the committee is completely illegitimate because... Nancy Pelosi kicked off the Republican members, which has never been done in the history of Congress and is just a, a breaking and violation of norms that is egregious. And so since that happened like a year ago, I have not viewed this committee as legitimate. So yesterday there were all these storylines and they sounded incredibly implausible, first off, but then also the underlying you know, story I couldn't quite figure out what was supposed to be so awful. So I wonder if sometimes people just don't remember things very well, because I remember that period of time and I covered several of these so-called stop the steal rallies, including January 6th, but also including, I think one in November and December. And one of those president Trump, I think like drove down Pennsylvania Avenue or some portion of it to encourage the people who were marching to the Supreme Court was not considered a big deal, was considered very exciting by the people who did that. Um, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I would say people don't have a good memory and now I'm realizing I don't have a perfect memory of this either, but you know, there was some kind of interaction like this. Sure. And so the story is that Donald Trump wanted to do this again on January 6th. And it's like, okay, I can see where you would say that's unwise, but it's not like it's news. He said it, I think, in the speech that he gave that day. And so it's treated as this like, oh, he wanted to join them. And it's like, I think he was pretty clear about wanting to join them for months. So yeah. unclear why this is a big deal. But then well, the story- let me let me jump in and just quickly say okay. play devil's advocate a little. So obviously, I think that what, what Trump did, or maybe it's not obvious that that it it was irresponsible like in general, just kind of like inciting people more than, than he should have and et cetera. But I don't think there's anything illegal about it. I don't think it's incitement in, in the legal sense, like that he should be criminally prosecuted. And I think what they want to do though, is, is create this link that I don't think exists. And I think every day this goes on, it's, you know, I think for me, at least, I, I, I believe it's less of a, of a, of a fact that there's a link between Trump and the and the supposed coup in the sense that he wasn't just inciting it in speeches, but he was a, a participant in this web of lies and in the violence. Like yesterday, they were talking about how he went there down there, even though he knew there were you know there were guns and knives and bats. Meanwhile, I don't think that that's true true about about guns. I think maybe there was just one instance where someone had a weapon, and obviously no one used it except for the uh, except for the. Uh, security there. So I think that they're trying to create that nexus, right? And that this would be a big part of it if he was like enraged and wanted to be down there with his fellow uh, insurrectionists. Yeah. So I haven't reviewed the transcript yet, but 
apparently the the, the story that that was being crafted for episode four or whatever this was, was that, yeah, he didn't want people to use the magnetometers or whatever you call them because it was delaying people's entry to the speech and that this was evidence somehow of his part in a conspiracy because he was trying to cover up that weapons were used or something like that. And what is fascinating about this is if you know Donald Trump at all and have like covered him at all in the last six years, you know that he complains about security for his events like 100% of the time. 100% of the time, he's like, ah, do people really need to go through these things that save my life? You know, <laughs> like, do people, he, you know, he's frustrated by it and he really is, you know, like a genuine populist and he would be like one of those presidents that would open up the White House to the entire, you know, um, crowds. So he hates these, he hates these, security restrictions so that was part of the argument was that he was complaining about the security restrictions and it would be more shocking if he hadn't given that he does it 100 percent of the time and it's not evidence of you know like some kind of criminal conspiracy it's just his idiosyncratic approach or his you know his belief that he would like people to not have to wait in line and then yeah on the gun and weapons thing we of course know that not a single person was arrested that day with guns. People were later arrested and charged with gun possession, but the claims were being made yesterday that there were like reams of AR-15s in the crowd. Um, I think if that were true, we would have seen photographic evidence of it within hours or days, certainly not hear about it like a year and a half later. I love when people laugh and go, LOL, you and your guns, you're never going to stop the government and their nuclear weapons. And then there's a march and like two people have guns and they're like, this was a violent coup against the United States. Could have we were inches away from overturning the, the republic. So right. And the only gun deployed that day, of course, was from the Capitol Hill police officer who killed one of the Trump protesters. So, OK, so all of this, I kept it, people being like, this is explosive. This is crazy. And I'm thinking, I just don't get it. And then when it gets to the part with this very cinematic story about Donald Trump, somehow overpowering his secret service agents because they didn't want to take him to the Capitol where he wanted to take part in an insurrection, meaning he wanted to join the protesters as they went down to the Capitol. Um, and so he overpowered them and he grabbed and lunged for the steering wheel. I, I laughed. I mean, it's just, it's just so absurd that you have to be at very high levels of Trump derangement to think that that's a real story. And it doesn't require, as happened, a bunch of Secret Service people saying this isn't true to not think it's true. Anyone with a brain or like just a basic level of common sense should have looked at that story and said, this sounds like many of the absurd stories we've heard in the last six years that always turn out to be completely untrue, right? Right. But I think there there seems to be a little bit more, and I, do, I don't really pay that close attention to these hearings usually, but, but Cassidy... Hutchinson goes down there and says that she heard from a, a, a someone that the Secret Service that this happened. She talked about a note that she had written that that someone now, you know, the White House lawyer says he wrote, et cetera. But the Secret Service, I think, had been already subpoenaed or not subpoenaed. They had already been down there and told them the story of what happened. And this never came up. So wouldn't someone on the committee say, wow, this is really going to undermine our credibility big time if we bring a witness that we know has uh, contentions that, that are already challengeable? Or am I so, wrong about that? I am so glad you bring this up because this is actually one of the issues that was bothering me last night. So the Secret Service actually has been very compliant with this illegitimate committee. And so if they were asking people what happened that day and those people did not mention, oh, by the way, the president of the United States assaulted me when I tried to kidnap him to keep him from going to the Capitol, that would be an omission that would you know, if it were true, that would be an omission that actually, you know, could be like considered a criminal omission. And if it weren't mentioned for some reason, and this other person says that this happened or that someone, this like particular person told her that this happened and they don't go back and ask the person, did you tell her that? And did this happen? That's just, I mean, it, it, it is such a joke that this committee is being treated as if it's in any way legitimate when this is not the first time this crap has happened. I mean, this is like the 12th major example we have of them misleading, 
inventing evidence, manipulating evidence, obscuring evidence. I mean, one of the things I find interesting on Twitter is you'll have all these people who say, um, well, if people disagree with this, they're welcome to go down and testify. And then you'll have people respond, I did testify and I did disagree with it. And here's my transcript. And they're not letting, like, they're not letting my story be out on television because it's not an adversarial committee. It's a complete fraud. And anybody under cross-examination would have been destroyed yesterday before you know, the situation was so bad that the corrupt media destroyed this witness. Yeah, I was about to say that. I think that not having a legitimate um, committee where there's cross-examination actually hurts them in a weird way in that, in that they think they're going to get away with stuff because the media won't say anything. They're so compliant. I mean, but yesterday, even they had to do something about it because that story was going to come out. But that, that, that there's no cross-examination. And then you have witnesses who are just allowed to go off, you know, go off into and make things up. And mostly because these people are so it's such a bubble about this event that they think it's the you know worst than Watergate, the worst thing that's ever happened. And it simply it is it, it was a bad event. Don't, don't don't get me wrong, but it's simply as far as 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 undermining the constitutional order, or undermining uh, the nation. I just don't see it see it like that. And yet, you know, people ignored. I see column after column. I mean, I don't want to pick on David French or whatever, but, you know, he's ready to like, you know, to, to charge Trump with sedition and, th- you know, which I thought I think carries like a, a death sentence, doesn't it still in the United States? I, I have mean, no doubt. I have no doubt that he would love such an outcome. Yeah. But it is a case that could never win. I don't even think you would win a case for incitement. I don't think any of the words that Donald Trump said meet that. I'm not a lawyer, okay. meet, you know, meet that David, standard. This is not I mean, I do think they actually would love to have Donald Trump banished to an island in the middle of the Atlantic. I have no doubt about that. But they probably understand it's not going to happen. What they want to make sure is that his movement and his people are forever punished, that a lesson goes out that any time any member of the Republican Party so much as dreams of actually having an effective policy that gets implemented, that they will think about what is done to people who go against what the regime wants. Yeah, I used to disagree with you on that. I used to think that there were, and I believe there are, from my perspective, good reasons to think that some of the things Donald Trump did were bad in general for for governance, right? That, uh, That there are reasons to say this is not the way you act. But the problem is that nearly every never Trumper or every person who 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 is supposedly an ex-conservative wants to do is is what you just said undermine an entire movement on un, not give credit like Kevin Williamson did the other day not give credit uh, to the president for for being the mo- most pro-life president and achieving what is probably like was like I hate to put it in religious terms but the holy grail of um, of conservatism in the Federalist Society etc so that is really off-putting to me. Uh, even though I sometimes agree with with many or many of their grievances. Something we talk about a lot on this podcast is how recent changes to the way humans live their everyday lives have caused all of these other downstream changes that are pretty major and that we don't actually think about that often. For instance, did you know that poor sleep can cause weight gain, mood issues, poor mental health, and lower productivity? Think about this. Sleeping less than six to seven hours per night is actually linked to reduced white blood cell count. And those white blood cells protect our body against illnesses and diseases. They fight viruses. They fight bacteria. And so so much more. I am one of those people that absolutely needs critical sleep. I need absolutely more sleep than most people probably do, but it's a huge difference. And we all know that because we all need it. Introducing Beam Dream. Beam is the world's most innovative functional wellness brand with unique products for everything from sleep to recovery. And today our listeners get a special discount available for Beam's sleep product, Dream Powder, their best-selling healthy hot cocoa. It contains natural sleep-promoting premium ingredients, triple lab tested, no THC, and you wake up feeling refreshed, which in my opinion is just about the best feeling in the world. 98% of people surveyed fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream and 99% of people experience better sleep quality. You just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, you stir it, and you enjoy it before bedtime. Just taking the stuff out of the 
box. I took a look at it and said, this is awesome. You can find out why Forbes and New York Times are all talking about Beam and why it's trusted by the world's top business professionals and top athletes. Don't love it? You can get your money back guaranteed. For a limited time, get up to 35% off when you go to shopbeam.com slash Federalist and use code Federalist at checkout. That's shopbeam.com slash Federalist and use code Federalist for up to 35% off. Oh my gosh, I almost always agree when people have criticisms of Donald Trump. I almost always agree with them. Like, even on this, his behavior after the election was unwise and imprudent. Totally agree. What infuriates me and enrages me is that we had four years of the entire regime, the entire media complex, the entire Democrat Party, and huge chunks of the Republican Party engaging in election denialism that had profound and serious consequences for a legitimately elected administration. And nobody gave a crap. Like, few of us did. A few of us were reporting on it. And a few of us were talking about the importance of accepting the legitimacy of Donald Trump's wins. Nobody, nobody in the, in the entire town accepted the legitimacy of his win. There was an open resistance um, at federal agencies, throughout the Senate, Throughout, the, throughout Congress, people refused to go to his inauguration. They impeached. They came up with, in, you know, they invented stories. Journalists took complete part in this regime coup attempt. And nobody cares and nobody does anything. And then you have, after all of this, which itself leads to people questioning the credibility of the election, not to mention all of the actual election-based problems that that election saw, such as changing hundreds of laws and processes in the dark of night, right before the election, you know, ensuring this flooding the zone of tens of millions of mail-in ballots, having the world's wealthiest man take over election offices throughout the country in the blue areas of swing states, uh, having the media lie about the most important campaign story, having tech companies suppress. Like this is major rigging of an election that nobody can really deny. And then all of a sudden, if you have a problem with it, you need to be imprisoned for life and possibly killed. Like, no, that is just, <laughs> that is infuriating. And then also to be told that this one afternoon riot is more important than the summer of violence where dozens of people were killed and buildings you know, were attacked and the White House was attacked and federal courthouses were attacked. And you know, previously the Supreme Court had been attacked and previously the Wisconsin state um, Capitol had been attacked and all those things don't matter. It's just this one thing that matters. And we have to, we all have to agree that it's the most important thing ever. And then to follow up on that, to make sure that people think it matters, we've seen violations of the fourth amendment, of the fifth amendment, of the sixth amendment, and nobody cares because in the interest of saving our Republic, we have to destroy the constitution. And I, I have so much <laughs> anger at people who aren't screaming through the rafters about what we're seeing happen here. I mean, this is how republics end and they're doing it in the name of saving the republic and it's infuriating. I think that that actually brings us to our next topic, Dobbs, in, in a really good way. But I wanted to first say three things. I have three things on my list. One is that, you know, they, they've done this from the beginning with Donald Trump. If Donald Trump does something wrong that offends me, at least, you know, just from my perspective, again, offends me. Then they then they make up these crazy stories about him that and that they believe that they don't need to do. They already have a case to say Donald Trump has acted irresponsibly, but they have to tell us about how he's throwing plates against window window you know walls and choking Secret Service guards. And immediately I'm like, this is not really that plausible to me. I'm not saying the throwing of the dishes. I mean, that's plausible, but I'm just saying the choking of the of the guard of the, of the security and et cetera. Second thing they do that really, really bothers me is constantly conflating people who show up at a at a not a riot but at, at, at simply a political event a, a protest against something that they believe now i might disagree with them but they have every right to do that they're not criminals i see constantly leftists saying oh look this person's running for office and they were actually at the january 6 riots <laughs> no they weren't they were at a protest which is completely legal for them to do and this leads us to the third thing that you were just talking about. You can't have a nation survive if there are two sets of rules. And we just live under two sets of rules. They, 
and this leads to Dobbs and, and, and overturning Roe v. Wade, they demand that Republicans live under a, a, a system that does not exist under the Constitution. They just make it up because they want one party rule. That's what they want. And that's essentially what they get with a lot of these sorts of Republicans that are celebrated right now who don't really want to do very much. So anyway, I mean, that's how okay. I see it. Yeah. Um, I just want to add one thing that's kind of a minor point, but I was thinking about this as we watched the coverage of Cassidy Hutchinson. And we've seen even today, even as you have widespread reporting that the Secret Service people are prepared to testify under oath that she was not telling the truth. You have all these people on the committee saying, well, she was under oath and we believe her, even though other people who are under oath have refuted or said that, you know, she said falsehoods such as that she wrote a note that someone in the White House counsel says he actually wrote. But during the Trump administration, we saw a new kind of journalism where in order to run a story, you just needed an anonymous person to say it. And so I was thinking about how the real unique thing with Cassidy is that she was saying it under oath, but we saw tons of stories like this yeah. where people would just misinterpret something or exaggerate or make something up or, you know, whatever the case was. And it would be on the front page of the New York times. And they would talk to other people who you know, also backed it up anonymously and it would become these major stories. And so um, I just had this like insight into it because I don't think I know Cassidy Hutchinson. It's possible that I met her. I don't, I don't remember meeting her, but I know people who worked with her, you know, for a long time and they all say very similar things, very young person who did not have access. And they were talking about how they'd even seen this with other other testimony that we've seen in the hearing where you'll take in real life a meeting that might have been contentious between two attorneys. But by the time it gets told in the like sixth version, the hero of the story gets to tell like a really dramatic tale about precisely how he pushed back against you know, this other lawyer and it gets just, it gets hyperbolic and exaggerated, but like it's, it's rooted in truth. Um, when you take someone like Cassie Hutchinson, who's a very young person without a lot of access, who doesn't have a lot of context or, or anything like that, you know, for instance, she's never been around Donald Trump when he's complaining about security, even though he does it hundred percent of the time, she interprets it as actually participation in a coup, or she pretends to interpret it that way, or after coaching from counsel, she interprets it that way. And we see how this is for a high level thing where someone should actually be careful, but you really see why all those anonymous stories that were complete and utter BS really went wild because people just loved to talk to really young people who didn't really know what was going on and then just spin elaborate conspiracies out of it. Right. Yeah. It's like the daily beast. I forget the reporter's name, but you know, he'd always talk about these white house sources. There is no way any, any person with real access speaking to some cub reporter at the daily beast about this stuff it's going to be some 20 something year old they met at yes. a party yes. and it, who's and trying it was, to look cool and trying to feel important and trying to say even though i just deliver faxes and coffee i actually heard a really important thing and it's cute because you're 23 or whatever and we all you know we all try to make ourselves seem more important even when we're older but you really have a problem with it when you're insecure and lame as everybody is when you're 23 yeah. and this is why there's a cratering in in, in trust and journalism appropriately because we can't really trust sources anymore and that's one of the things that we used to be able to trust and you know that a journalist would find two sources but now you can't even trust that they do that and this is actually you make a really good point that i hadn't thought about this is actually we're seeing playing out how these stories occurred and happened this would have been a story she would have i'm not saying her personally but someone like her would have told a journalist uh, this story, they would have ran with it. It would have been on the front page. Everyone would have been going nuts. And then maybe a week later, we would learn that some Secret Service person said it wasn't true, right? So th this just happened over and over and over again. And it undermines the actual real problems that, you know, came with Donald Trump because no one believes anything anymore. Um, but just going back quickly to your, about how republics die. Now, I, you know that we know each other a while and I've been writing for the, you know, I wrote for the Federalist for, I think it was eight years before I, I left briefly. And many of my columns were like, everyone's overreacting. The Republic's fine. <laughs> you know, like, don't get crazy. Everyone, this is hysteria, mostly on the left, which I think actually is quite a bit of hysteria, but I actually am quite worried about the future now because ideas have been normalized on the left. 
that are authoritarian in ways that are much more dangerous to the republic, I believe, than any one, you know, any riot could be. One of them is the idea that 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 Republicans have a have a, a duty to live by these norms that do not exist in the Constitution at all. Like they are not allowed to like this is a, a, a this is a case made by tons of Democrats and almost the entire left wing punditry. The Republicans are not allowed to name Supreme Court justices if the if the president didn't win the popular vote, which doesn't exist, like stuff like that. I mean, and that's just a normalized view now on the left, stopped only by a few people. If they had power right now, they would pack the courts. They would. Um, destroy the filibuster they would um they would want you know one party rule in this country and i i just i just it, you know i to me that is a, a bigger threat than i've seen to the republic than than i can imagine in modern times or, or, or think about or you know come up with an example for it's a real problem i mean i don't know i've actually heard the left question the legitimacy of the court for so long that it kind of just you it just you just kind of ignore it. I do think that when you see it in the context of January 6th, where if you question the legitimacy of an election, you are guilty of sedition if you're Republican, since obviously Democrats have done that every single presidential election they've lost, going back at least to um, George H.W. Bush, but there are arguments that actually they did it for decades prior to that too. Um, but think about I'm sorry to interrupt, but think about this argument. Dobbs overturns Roe and The New York Times has a piece that claims only yesterday, I think, that claims that abortion is banned in the United States, which is, of course, completely incorrect, but also says that it undermines democracy in ways that threaten the entire world order. Right. That was when by liter- Carl Hulse, who right. is a Supreme Court reporter. Right. And right. so. Roe, of course, was the decision that stole this debate from the American people and said that you weren't allowed to have any say in it, you know, and we're not a democracy, we're a constitutional republic, but that is an anti-democratic position for Roe to take that is not rooted in the Constitution. And then when the justices finally, after 50 years, rectify the situation and return it to the people as, you know, is constitutional, then that's considered anti-democratic. Anti-democratic has no meaning right now other than um, results that I wish hadn't happened. It used to mean democratic process or democracy used to mean stuff I like for Democrats, right? This is stuff I want. Now it means you have to, you have to live within a system that doesn't even exist anymore. So like you just perfectly laid it out. Now, when, when, when Roe came down, the pro-life movement, which wasn't very strong, frankly, and it took a few years to really get going, they didn't say, let's tear down the Supreme court. Let's tear down and change this. The Senate is unfair. The way, you know, the process is unfair. They literally built a movement that took 50 years to get it right. You know, the, the Federalist Society, et cetera. You know, there were a lot of other issues obviously entwined in that, but still they built this movement. And what does the left do? They normalize the idea that the Supreme Court should be, you know, not not count. And the funny thing to me is it's not really funny, but is that they spend decades delegitimizing the court. They are the people who 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 smear justices as gang rapists. They're the ones who say it doesn't matter. And then they're they're on Twitter saying you know, how can this court survive if it only has 35%, you know, approval rating among people? <laughs> well, you maybe don't delegitimize it and smear everyone oh, wait, on it, and then this, you won't have it, that, you know, be, be unpopular. This is like the Menendez brothers saying that they are orphans and therefore deserve leniency. <laughs> That's a deep cut for our older That is nice, crew. yeah. Anyway, it's really threatening and uh, I think a big problem now to Joe Biden's credit. He said he wouldn't pack the courts and, you know, he wouldn't wouldn't. I think he said, he, you know, he didn't wouldn't support getting rid of the filibuster. But honestly, it doesn't really matter what he supports because there just isn't the votes there for it because of a couple of senators. But that's two senators that are holding back a lot of this. Can you imagine where we would be if they didn't exist? I mean, it would be a big problem. And so I'm I'm increasingly nervous about the country falling apart in this way. I just think you have the decision on guns, for instance, the other day where the court, uh, I guess, codified the right to bear arms, because that's not just in your house. But 
California will just ignore that law. Maryland will just ignore that decision. Uh, Massachusetts will ignore that decision. So I don't understand why the right way, you know, conservative states or red states have to have to live by the decision of courts if, if, if blue states don't. And at some point they're not and the country's going to fall apart. I mean, it's kind of one of those things that we have not tested that it's kind of a miracle it hasn't been tested before. There has been such deference for the court's decisions to the def- to the court's decisions that we haven't seen a lot of state resistance. But I think you and I honestly think you could start seeing much more state resistance of one kind or another the more extreme things get in D.C. So I definitely consider my incessant skepticism both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing in journalism for sure. But as I've watched all of these my pillow ads over the years, I have just been plagued by the question, are these as good as the commercials say they are? I've always wondered this. And when the fine folks over at MyPillow were kind enough to send me some of their products, I was really pleasantly surprised. These things are great. And right now they're having a BOGO extravaganza. So you can get buy one, get one free price on the MyPillow bed sheets as low as $59.98, the Elegance MyPillows as low as $49.98, and that six-piece towel sets. Those are my favorite. Those are included in the BOGO extravaganza. Also, the Roll and Go Anywhere MyPillows for $29.98 and so much more. Those six-piece towel sets are made with cotton grown here in the United States. Other towels feel good but don't absorb, or they absorb but they don't feel good. Every MyPillow towel is made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent and soft to the touch. I can confirm that. It's absolutely true. Like I said, these are my favorites. They have no lotion-y feel either. Every set comes with two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. So you got everything you need. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes, and they are machine washable and come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. Those roll and go anywhere My pillows. You can use them on your couch, your recliner, or in your car. They're versatile enough to take on vacation or really anywhere you go. They're also available in multiple colors and patterns and machine washable and dry for all you parents. That's the most important part. They come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee as well. So as you can see, it's a buy one, get one extravaganza over at mypillow.com slash federalist. Bed sheets and my pillows are just the tip of the iceberg. Find the full list of BOGO offers by visiting mypillow.com slash federalist or call 800-794-8429. Stock up with buy one, get one free savings today and get Mike's book free with any purchase. My pillow.com slash federalist or call 800-794-8429 mypillow.com slash federalist i don't know i think the left has been ignoring courts they ignore heller i mean dc ignores heller it's still hard to get a handgun there and you know maryland ignores heller the thing is that when those decisions comes come down it allows red states to be freer right it's like i don't really most conservatives probably don't care what they do in California. I'm sure they do abortion. They, you know, they, they do care, but they're, but they're concerned about their own states and passing laws. The left, on the other hand, is very concerned about what Oklahoma does and what Texas does. They are the ones who want to, uh, through fiat, through judicial fiat or, or majoritarianism or whatever centralized government, coerce those people to live the way they want. And that is that is, a you know, it's just a recipe for for for. For, for the destruction of, of what, you know, the basic Republicanism that runs this country. Anyway, I know I sound like I sound like I'm, um, you know, I'm, that probably sounds over the top to people, but I, but I increasingly I'm worried about it. So when you talk about the two standards, I'm more worried about the things like the Department of Justice will destroy you if you're a political opponent and they will let you off scot-free if you're a political ally. That is untenable that's <laughs> um, part of it right it's part of it it's part you know the the justice department will go out and 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 go, and, and if you if a, a teacher's union complains or a school board complains it will treat you like a terrorist um but when you're burning down a board you know you're burning down or putting graffiti on a, on a pregnancy center doesn't seem to care very much i mean it's all par- it's all part of the same uh, problem i think so on that point, I find the post-Dobbs reaction to be fascinating as it relates to the January 6th Star Chamber. So the one major election strategy for Democrats is, okay, could we get you to ignore the economy, the border, rising crime, inflation, 
you know, labor disruptions, supply chain issues, can't get baby formula, foreign policy disasters, et cetera, by focusing on the January 6th committee and how the worst thing in the world that you could ever think of doing is rioting. And then at the same time, they're encouraging their rioters and they seem a little frustrated that their riots aren't gaining more traction um, post Dobbs. And so you have prominent people begging people to get into the streets, doing nothing in response to a failed assassination attempt on a Supreme Court justice, on the firebombing of churches and pro-life maternal care centers. And nobody seems to think this might be a problem and a, you know, a difficult two-pronged campaign strategy for Democrats to do riots in the streets and then persecuting rioters well, elsewhere? You know how it works, right? When there's rioting at the Capitol, I have to, people demand that I take ownership of it for some reason, even though I have nothing to do with those people. I don't support them at all. But when the left is out there rioting during Black Lives Matter, or literally a, 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 a crusade supported by Democrats and corporations, they pretend like it has nothing to do with them. And uh, that, too, is a double standard that can't stand very long. It's just untenable. So Democrats say that this they're hoping that the Dobbs decision will be a boon for them and help them with some. You know, they have voters who aren't very excited to vote for them, and they're hoping that Dobbs will help ramp up the excitement. What do you think about it? Well, I happen to just write a piece about that. I think that. Uh, um, Democrats are, are like to fool themselves with polling, right? So they'll say, they'll ask a vague question, like, do you think abortion should be allowed like Democrats do? Well, yeah, I, I guess, right? But when you actually dig deeper, their position is no more uh, popular. And their position, incidentally, is um, abortion through nine months paid for by the government on demand whenever you want for whatever reason. That is the bill that they forwarded to Congress. That is an incredibly unpopular position. The, the position of Florida, the position of Texas, the position, you know, heartbeat bills, 15 week bans, things like that are much more popular. And um, the idea that that Dobbs and the court is so extremely out of step with it, with with American democracy is just it's a lie. And they're fooling themselves. And they do this with guns. They do this with all kinds of social policies. So I think they're fooling themselves. I don't I'm not saying that that the Dobbs is going to help Republicans in any way right now. But I think it's going to be basically a wash. I don't know. What do you think? I, well, I also wrote on it that I think for Democrats to have political, serious political gains from this, they would have to have a much less extreme position. So uh, you actually just kind of like have to think through the races. And I do think that this decision might help Democrats in a few. And I, by a few, I mean like six, you know, House districts um, that are suburban if you have like a lot of wealthy white women who were thinking about going back to the Republican party after they'd gone to the Democrat party, this might help those Democrats hold on to those seats. But when you look at a, you know, look bigger, I just don't see it helping. I see at worst it being a wash. So you take like Nevada where the incumbent Senator voted for that extreme bill, you know, abortion through all nine months of pregnancy as the baby's exiting the birth canal, taxpayer funded, like really radical stuff. You know, should you be able to kill a baby just because she's a girl? Yes, according to this incumbent senator. So is that really going to help her if people are forced to start articulating what their views actually are versus an Adam Laxalt who is pro-life in a very reasonable way and has, you know, is known for stuff like helping out the little sisters of the poor when they were being persecuted by the Obama administration because they wouldn't pay for abortion in their health care plan. I just think in a state like Nevada, where one out of four voters is Hispanic and a lot of those people are evan evangelical or Catholic, I just don't see a radical pro-abortion position being a winner. Or like John Fetterman, also supportive of that radical bill and you know and he's running in pennsylvania pennsylvania is a place that actually used to elect pro-life democrats in recent memory is it really going to help him that he's this radical and i mean you can count on corporate media to not tell the truth about it but sometimes you actually have to do a debate and you have to answer questions and you have to get out there publicly and those views are supported by only 17% of the population. I mean, the vast majority of the population would either like to ban abortion or have limitations on it. And that's, 
the Dobbs position. The Dobbs position is that you can do that. Right. And that's an, like an 80% position. And yeah, you have media lying about it. But if you in any way support any restriction at all whatsoever, then you're in a pro Dobbs camp. And that's again, like 83% of the population. And on top of that, for most people, I would say the majority of Americans that it will not affect them or, or abortion policy almost in any way. So if you live in a, in a district in, you know, upstate New York or wherever, it's not going to really change anything right now. So I just don't think it's going to matter. What matters is that things are buying costs more. What matters is that the country's headed in wrong in, into a recession. And that's going to, I think, matter. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's going to be a wash at, at best. And in the long run, I mean, I, as I've written, and I'm sure you agree, is that the fight's really just beginning. This just stops a, an incredible injustice and, and extra constitutional right that should never have existed. Now you have to now you have to get into the debate. And frankly, I don't think Democrats are ready for that debate. They cannot answer simple questions on this. They're busy. You know, they, they've spent years just saying, oh, it's a right. It's a constitutional right. None of your business. So now they're acting like crazy people. These protests, the things they're doing are insane. And I just don't think Americans are going to see someone like that woman who had the sign who said, don't don't force people. Don't force this on people pointing at her two kids are going to take kindly to that sort of thing. So we'll, we'll that made see. me sad, though. I want everybody to love their babies and have good families. And that's the most. Oh, I'm sure those all. kids are going to have well adjusted lives after that. <laughs> A lot of good people had less than loving mothers. So we, we hope that those people, those poor babies will be OK. Uh, I do, too. Anyway. OK, so what else is going on, David? Do you have a do you have any updates? I sent you a picture of one of my record finds that we got. Oh, it was in, amazing. Yeah. Um, where we were in Fredericksburg, Virginia, which is like a record capital Mecca. It's so oh, weird. Nice. They have all these antique mall type things downtown and you go in and then it'll be like six stalls with amazing sets of records. And I don't know why it's there. It's like the whole town has a bunch of records and yeah, well, I sent you that one that was like a compilation from rough, rough trade. trade. Yeah, I love I, I love that you got. I shouldn't say that actually. So I'm I'm a big Molly Hemingway fan in general. But one thing that angers me about you all the time in in really visceral way is that you constantly are just like happening upon like amazing records at like garage sales or just like some people come to you with boxes of them to give them to you <laughs> or you know you're wherever finding rough trade compilations that probably cost like hundred dollars on discog or something like that i just literally paid for a, an a obscure record of a band i don't even love that much called slovenly from the 80s in like a lot of money for a record from germany like that's the kind of record you would just like be like oh look what i found in you know in this box in this antique store underneath like the uh you know this dusty box of books i mean so, do you do a lot of record bin diving or no i mean it does take work to find the things and in this case it took a husband <laughs> hemingway who just enjoyed like digging through crate after crate i do i do dig i rarely find things i really want um so no so you know it doesn't work that well for me i will say this i have a little story i um I've recently bought a CD player. I've thrown out my CD player, but I have this giant box, this bin filled without the jewel cases, filled with CDs that I collected through the 90s and 2000s, uh, filled with like really um, cool stuff, out there stuff, a lot of stuff that's not um, streaming anywhere or isn't even sometimes on on YouTube. And I've uh, been enjoying that quite a bit. I, you know, it's weird when I was young, I threw out a bunch of my records because I thought that was over. Then I got rid of a bunch of my CDs. I thought that was over. But I think a, a good lesson for people is to keep what they have physically, as you know, physical move, copies. As we move into this like fascist censorship era of corporations controlling things and deplatforming people for having the wrong opinions, I think it's insane to get rid of any media. Like yeah. you've got to keep it before they rewrite everything or they disappear stuff. And that's, you know, we we don't have movies or TV shows and we're not super into those things anyway. But if I were, I would definitely be keeping like VCRs and DVDs and whatever I could. Yeah, um, I've started buying all the Woody Allen DVDs because, you know, it's probably on a list somewhere in the federal government. <laughs> I hope so. I actually just paid and I will tell you how much I paid for it over two hundred dollars for a book from 1990 called leftism revisited because it's a because 
and I can't pronounce the guy's last name, uh, name at all. Eric Von Kuhnlet Ledeen, I think. But anyway, it's, it's like probably I have it on digital and digital form. It's like my favorite book. Now I've told you about it, I think, on numerous occasions mm-hmm. already. But I, I'm like, I need to get this in physical form. And so I've been bidding on it on eBay and a bunch of other people bid on it and drive up the price. So it's obviously something um, that there's interest in. Right. So so I feel like, you know, we, we should own these books, hold on to them. Re- you should talk to a publisher about republishing it. Yeah, it should be republished. I think it was a Regnery book. So. Tell them to bring it back out. Yeah, yeah. How about uh, you? What are you? What are you doing? What, what other than finding amazing records without any putting in any work? Just waiting for the news cycle to slow down. And um, I haven't been watching a ton of television, but I did want to say that we did watch the third season of Barry. Have you seen that? Oh yeah. I haven't seen the finale, you know, the, I think it was the finale yet. Um, but I, I, yeah, I've been a fan of that show for, for since it started. Did you what like do you it? Think? I mean, I find it to be dark <laughs> to understate wildly. Um, and Mark Hemingway really likes it and keeps us powering through. Um, I think it's, you know, I think it's very interesting. It's very well done. I like the, the characters and the complexity of the characters uh, we also watched, oh, I forget what it's called. Oh, quickly, let me just say on Barry, I, I loved it initially. And I've uh-huh. actually, you know, and I know most people love this season. I think it's the third season, right? Mm-hmm. Or is it the fourth season, third season? I, I don't like it as much. I find like it's, I didn't mind the darkness, but I love that it was paired with humor. And I just find that there's just more darkness and less humor. Oh, in, you know. in part because of what they did to NoHo Hank. Yeah, no. I mean, Noah Hank is one of the best and funniest characters I've ever seen, and then this season he just got real serious. Yeah. So yeah, so I don't interrupt. And by the way, it gets real serious toward the end. Just so you, just so you're prepared. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I I I like how it was sort of just a dark, uh, you know, kind of like a dark comedy, dark comedy rather than just a dark show about a dark person. Even though obviously it was always, you know, it was always that was always messed up. Yeah. Also, the dude who, you know, the dude from Office Space who plays his yeah. mentor. What's his yeah. name? I don't know. He's, a, oh, he's like on. one of our greatest character actors. He's right? so good. He yeah. deserves so much more attention and he deserves to have his name remembered. He was on the he was on the show News Radio. I don't yes, know if you watched is, that. Yeah, which is one of my favorite. Shows yeah, it was a brilliant time. sitcom. Yeah. Um, like he's been in excellent things and he elevates it seriously. Yeah, he's just he can and also he can do comedy, but he's been in a ton of, you know, drama and the guy is just really versatile. So I also watched on HBO Hacks. I did. I watched the I didn't I I watched part of the first season. But not you did not watch to completion. I did not because I'm so busy with my day job. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think Gene Smart is a revelation. I have actually always liked her, even when she was doing silly sitcoms or like girl movies, like Sweet Home Alabama. But she is inspired in this. It, it is a well acted and well produced show. But I will say it does something that bothers me, even though I haven't seen the whole first season. Here's what it is. When they pit the woke person against the sort of more conservative normie, <laughs> in the end, they always sort of both sides learn something about themselves and, you know, and learn to be more open-minded. But in the end, it's always that the woke person is the more moral and forward one where the, where the, oh. where the crusty conservative learns something about how important it is to be more open-minded. Right. Just more than that, the woke sidekick character. I hate her so much. I keep hoping that she'll die. And I just feel like that's not a good character when you're like it's fine it's a fictional character could we have a fire uh what could be done and i mean she's so annoying yeah and i know that's partly what she's supposed to be but it uh, i um i hate the woke politics i actually kind of think gene smart is the gene smart's character is the only good thing about the whole show but it's so good that it's worth watching yeah I have a few others. Can I mention them? Oh, I can't wait for your recommendations. <laughs> There's a show called The Tourist on HBO. Have you seen that? Mm-mm. It's with the guy who was in the, the Fall as the murderer. I don't know if you remember that show. He's Mm-mm. the guy. He was in like what was that like? 
soft porn movies like 50 shades of gray or whatever he okay. was the guy in it and he's an irish actor and he's in this show called the tourist that happens in the in in australia in the outback and it's okay. actually quite good um and slow horses did you, did you or your wife fall asleep while watching it <laughs> my wife did not watch it only i watched it <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit it's a mystery it's a really good just give it a chance give watch one episode you'll see um, the other show I liked was Slow Horses hmm. with Gary Oldman on Apple Plus. He plays like an old uh, MI6 guy who has. So these these agents who really mess up badly are put into this one sort of, you know, group and he he oversees their 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 thing. So those like were it. the other ones. I'll, um, I'll, I'll probably check that out. And Tokyo like Vice Gary wasn't Old. terrible either. That was also an HBO show. Oh yeah. I haven't checked that out. Have you seen <laughs> have you seen Top Gun Maverick? I have not. Uh, you did and you liked it very much, right? Loved it. Mm-hmm. I think Top Gun was slightly overrated movie. I I'm, listen, I I want to see this because I I am starved like everyone else for a movie that doesn't teach me any lesson and just is pro America and testosterone filled and all that. All for it. I just don't think the original was that. I so, once for the Federalist made a whole list of Tom Cruise movies and I think Top Gun came in like in the rankings like at nine or ten. I was at a cousin wedding recently. One of my cousins got married, and so my siblings were there, and their kids, and my kids, and we all watched the original Top Gun one night crammed into a tiny hotel room and it was utterly delightful to watch it because my brother and my sister and I of course have memorized the whole film and so you know we were just like cracking jokes the whole time and my brother did this great job of like during the naughty scenes he took my coat and covered up the television so that the kids you know wouldn't be was the shirtless volleyball game one of the naughty scenes no (laughs) the love making had to be excised so watching it again though I was like oh the tom cruise character is awful and the val kilmer character is unquestionably the right guy you know he's like you're reckless you're gonna get someone killed you're too into this for yourself like yeah he was better i mean does this not happen all the time as we get older like for instance the principal in the breakfast club is the hero of that movie (laughs) he is the only normal person who sees reality as it is in that movie yeah so it was very disorienting to realize I had been completely wrong and blindsided by my, you know, 14 year old hormones or whatever. So having said that, the, the new one just is really great, really great movie, really great thing of just cinematic action and much better story, much better character development. And Tom Cruise is still kind of an annoying person, but it, it's all good. I'd highly recommend it. I'm going to go see it again here probably this weekend wow okay well listen if anyone who's listening has recommendations for us they can email us at radio at the com. on that note david yeah did you see the great like feedback on games from our last episode i did it was good yeah i'm actually quite so the game i played azul thanks for bringing this up was (laughs) amazing and i kept beating everyone in my family so now we can't play it anymore um, which always happens, but I'm looking for new games to dominate them. And, um, so I'm going to, I, I was going to go back and look at some of those suggestions and, uh, and, uh, and buy them, <laughs> you know why Molly, because I'm a lover of freedom and I'm anxious for the fray. <laughs>